This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au If you've got your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 28. We're coming to the end of our uh, time together and we're going to come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Fittingly, we started in the early portion of Matthew at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We now come to the ends, uh, at least in Matthew's Gospel, of the Lord Jesus' ministry, which is actually the beginning of the next chapter of his ministry, which takes place in the book of Acts. But uh, we're going to just read Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 16 to 20. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. A few years ago, I was speaking at base camp, a men's convention with Katoomba up in the mountains. And just before I spoke at the event, uh, the, the weeks leading up to it, I went into a petrol station and I filled my car up with petrol only to discover that as I went for my wallet, I didn't have my wallet with me. And I don't know if you had that experience. I went inside, I was quite embarrassed, and I told the gentleman at the front counter, listen, this is what's going on. I filled up the car. I actually do have money. I just don't have money with me. And he said, no problem, sir. You need to fill out this form. So there was a form that you had to fill out and it had information about your number plate and you know, your address and phone number and so forth. And I began to fill it out. And as I was filling it out, there was a box that said title. And just by default, I checked doctor um, because I'm in academic circles and often when I fill out forms, that's what, what I do. And the gentleman looked at me and he said, are you a doctor? And I said, well, of sorts. I said, I have a PhD, but it's a research PhD. He looked at me and said, okay. What's your area of specialty? I said, Greek New Testament with emphasis on the imperial cult of the Roman Empire. <laughs> okay, he looked at me. I kid you not, he said, I've got this twitch in my eye. What, what, what do you think it could be? And I was quite dumbfounded. I'm like, what? He said, I've got this twitch in my eye. What do you think it could be? I said, well, could be stress related. I said, could be a lack of sleep. I said, you know, you probably should go to your GP or, you know, optometrist, get a second opinion. Uh, I was going to ask him for his Medicare card, but I didn't. I, I went back home. I got my wallet, brought it back, paid the money. As soon as I came in, the guy calls over his mate. He says, hey, mate, 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 come meet the doctor. Okay, I wasn't just any doctor. I was doctor par excellence. I was the doctor of doctors. And he said, couldn't this be stress related? I said, well, mate, it could be stress related. He says, yeah, our boss, he's a real mug. He works us so hard. And he started whinging about his boss. I'm like, mate, get a second opinion, all right? And I, I paid it. What was interesting about that was when I talked to this guy, clearly he knew the title of doctor, but he didn't quite understand the ramifications of it. 
He understood or he knew the category, but not the concept. And I think for many of us, when we hear the word disciple, we're going to focus on this issue today. I know discipleship's a big part of this church, and I'm thankful to God that there's actually more awareness of what's involved in the process of discipleship than many places I minister. But I think for some of us, when we hear the category discipleship, we nod our heads and say, yeah, that's good. I want to be a disciple and a disciple maker. But when I say, what does that look like? Not quite sure. We do it informally. We come together as disciples, as co-learners, and we learn. And our goal, as we're going to see here, the mandate, the great commission that is sometimes referred to, is that we would make disciples. And so what I'd like to do today is to come to a familiar passage, maybe at least for some of you, and just rethink what does discipleship look like? We've all called to this task. And how might we participate in the very work of God? You see, with this, uh, when I was given the, the subject of being radical or radical and thinking about Matthew's gospel, I started off by looking at the radical nature of our Saviour. He would be numbered amongst the transgressors. That is the, the building stone, the platform upon which we base all of our ministry and life. The reality that God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ so that we might have a relationship with God. We looked at the radical humility of that and we discovered that was part of God's radical purpose. Well, that purpose is coming to the end. It's really coming to a beginning. But at the end of this book, he's now going to give this radical mandate to say not only is this foundation being laid that Jesus has articulated and made known God's plan, but now I'm going to use you to communicate that. And we stand here today because this charge and command was given to a motley group of fishermen, tax collectors, zealots from this obscure place in the Middle East. And we are here today as a result of people taking this seriously. God has been at work for 2,000 years making disciples. And here's the radical thing. He wants to use each of you as part of that ongoing purpose and plan for the world. Now, my question is very straightforward today. How are you being a disciple and how are you being a disciple maker? To answer that question, we need to come back to this passage and we come to the end and Jesus is going to give this radical mandate, not just to the select few, but to his people. And before we get to the mandate, we first of all look at the context. And I think it's really interesting looking at verse 16 and 17, the context of the great mandate or the great commission that's given. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples, notice Judas is not there anymore, they went to Galilee to the mountain where God had told them to go. They interestingly don't start their mission in Jerusalem. Now they'll get to Jerusalem in Acts 1-8, the Spirit of God will come upon them, they'll start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. But interestingly, Jesus starts them off in Galilee of the Gentiles. And he gives us a little bit of a hint that God's message is not just for the, the, the select few religious folk in Jerusalem. He ironically starts in Galilee and he tells them to go there. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is astonishing, right? Jesus has been raised from the dead and some doubted. This I come to this passage and I'm kind of a little bit gobsmacked, except I know my own heart and my own doubt. 
when I was going through Bible college many years ago, I had a roommate from Canada when I was a, a younger man, and, and I would read the Bible, reading through the Old Testament. I remember reading privately in the Old Testament. I just kept mumbling, oh, idiots. Oh, duffers. Oh, what are these guys? And my roommate would say, what are you doing, Malcolm? I'd say, these Israelites are such idiots. They see the mighty hand of God part the seas. They get manna from heaven every day. And all they want to do is go back to Egypt. So foolish. And then he said, brother, look in the mirror. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that was a bit harsh. But he was right. You see, my life is consistently full of doubt. I see the mighty hand of God and just like that, I forget about it. Here, they've seen the resurrected Jesus, and yet they're doubting. And what this tells me is a couple of things. But one, not the least is, this again reminds us that God's ministry is all about grace. He doesn't say to the people who doubted, that's it, you guys are rubbish, I'm going to give you the left foot of fellowship. <laughs> he doesn't boot them out. Rather, he gives them a charge. And the context of the Great Commission is one of grace. You see, God uses very ordinary people. I'm so thankful to God. I grew up about 35 kilometers north of here. And one of the biggest events of grace happened to me two days before I started school. So back when the Earth's crust was still warm and dinosaurs roamed, <laughs> I was there getting ready for school. My dad was the local policeman at Wanji Wanji, up here on Lake Macquarie. And it was a good life. I actually, uh, the first week um, that I was born, I was in church the very first Sunday. We went to our local church, a very small church, but our house was actually connected to the police station. So I lived in a police station for the first 10 years of my life. And two days before I started school, or a few days before I started school, my dad got a phone call at the local police station. He was the police officer. There was no more that an alarm had gone off at the Toronto Golf Club it was being broken into. Assuming it was a possum or something like that, my dad got in the police car, he actually went to Toronto to pick up a second policeman from Toronto. And they, they drove together to the golf club, 10 o'clock at night, not expecting anything. But they got out and dad's partner went around one side of the building and dad's partner was shot and was killed instantly. My dad went, was going around the other side of the building and he heard the gunshots and he quickly ran around the side of the building where he too was shot. He was shot in the head, he was shot in the arm and a bullet went through one leg and lodged itself in the other. Through the grace of God, he managed to get back to the police car, he radioed for help and my dad managed to survive. My dad is not the preacher nor the son of a preacher. He's a policeman, or he was a policeman, now he's a bus driver. But my dad understands something. He understands grace and the gospel. So when they caught the men who did it, two boys, two brothers, 18 and 19 years old, along with their father, they just migrated to Australia, found life going pretty difficult, and they were put in jail for murder and attempted murder. My dad said, I'm not a perfect Christian. In fact, I'm a bit of a doubter at times. Don't always have it together, but I know the right thing to do is go to offer forgiveness to the guys that shot me. And I remember as a little boy going to prison with my family to meet the guys who shot my dad. That's what grace does. Through God's grace, 
the two young men came to know Christ through prison ministry and a long journey. The poor lady here who lost her husband and two boys to prison, my mum got alongside in mirrored grace. These are ordinary folks. My dad drives buses around this area. He's not the preacher nor the son of a preacher, but he gets that grace and the commission to tell people about Jesus is his job. It's the job of mothers. It's the job of accountants. It's the job of pastors. It's the job of people who are going to university. God uses cleaners. He uses actuaries. He uses people from all different backgrounds, whether they're all together or whether they're even doubting. It's all about grace. And that's the context we have here. We've got people, some worshipping him, on fire. And others, we don't know what their, their background is. We don't know why they're doubting. Maybe they're still in a haze of everything that's just happened in the last week. But whatever the case is, Jesus gives this charge. We'll go to verse 19 and look at the actual mandate itself before we look at the means. The mandate, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We'll just pause there. You'll notice what it doesn't say. He said to the clergy among them, go and make disciples. No. It does not say he said to those who had a career and an investment property and the financial means to go and make disciples. No. It doesn't say he said to those who were married and established their life, go. No. Go and make disciples of all nations. The default position of the Christian is to be one going and making disciples. And I'll explore what that means. That doesn't mean we all pack up today and leave to go somewhere overseas, though for some of us that will be the calling. But the, the insinuation here is that we're all being part of this journey. We all have been given this commission. This is not just the select few. Go and make disciples. Now, that will look different for each one of us. My investment in how I do discipleship is different than yours. We all have different networks, different areas that God calls us to. But the commission here is not an extracurricular activity just for a select few. This is why I had a great chat last night with Matt and we were talking and he was sharing something of the gospel communities. Evangelism and the Christian life, there are many things in life you can do by yourself. Being a Christian is not one of them. God uses communities to make disciples. So even when we see go and make disciples, this is not just, again, one person. This is what we do. And I was so encouraged when Matt was just sharing, and you know, you know this, no doubt, from hearing it from Matt and for the others, the drumbeat of the church is we're all on mission. That is what the church is about. But the encouragement here is don't just be a passenger, be involved. That will look different for each of us. But he says, go. By the way, if you go through this passage uh, fairly carefully, um, and uh, again, not to be too nerdy here, but there's one Greek word that comes out uh, repeatedly that I will, doesn't always come out in English, but let me just um, read it to you to give you the emphasis. It's the word all, the, the, the Greek term pass. 
He says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded. Surely I am with you always. Okay, this is the repetition of all here is designed to be all-encompassing. This is a big and really an impossible mandate that we are given. Now, we'll see how it is made possible through the work of God. But you'll notice one of the alls here, disciples of all nations. You might not ever leave this country to go anywhere overseas, but you can be a gospel community that is about all the nations. Paul had never been to Rome, but he would say to the church of Rome when he writes in Romans chapter 1, I pray for you always. Never been there. You can pray for people. I, I have a list. I'm so blessed at my job. I have lots of postcards in my office and there's just different faces of people going out. Some of them I know, most of them I know, some of them I don't know. But you know what? Every now and then I want to honour these people who have said, I take this so seriously, I'm going to the parts where Jesus is not known and sometimes I'll just send them an email. You don't know me from bar or so, but I want to let you know that I, I want to honour what you're doing because you're following the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've prayed for you. Is there anything special I can pray for you? All of us can be involved in it. I don't know what you do as far as international mission and those going out to all nations, but can I challenge your gospel communities? If you don't have a missionary family or a, a single missionary or, or an, uh, an, an agency that you're praying for, get to it. Find somebody to get behind and pray for by name. I think we can all be involved in this in all nations. It was a beautiful answer to prayer, though it didn't happen quite the way it anticipated. In the 1940s, uh, in Ecuador, uh, my wife's birth country, five missionaries, you might have heard this, uh, five missionaries, I think it was in the 40s or the 50s, uh, went across to Ecuador to meet and to reach out to a group with the gospel. Uh, these group were known by the unfortunate name of Alka. Uh, they don't like to refer to themselves with that name. Alka means savage. And this particular tribe were known for not just attacking violently other groups, but even internally, they were a dying tribe because they were so brutal with each other. And so there were five families, young marrieds with small children, not unsimilar to some of you here, who made the commitment, we want to go and share the gospel where Christ is not known. They were all educated, some of the best colleges uh, in the United States. And they put all of that on hold. They studied and they said our goal in studying and goal, eventually we want to go and make Christ known. So they went across to meet these people. And if you know the story, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint and uh, these other men all went down and they made their way to the Amazon. And as they got down there to the Amazon, they waited and waited and eventually they made contact with this group called the Alka or who were known as the Alka. Eventually, and sadly, just in a moment, the men were attacked and all five educated, gifted, committed men who had spent years and money and forsaken careers to reach out to these people, their life was taken like that. 2001, my wife and I were in Ecuador and we went to a little Bible college at a place called La Matad del Mundo. 
literally the middle of the earth, right on the equator. One, one kilometre from the equator, there's a little Bible college, and we went there. And this Bible college flies people from the jungle, from three tribes, Kichwa, Shwa, and the Wadani people. The Wadani people formerly were known as the Alkas. And I remember being in the kitchen, my wife and I just went to volunteer at this little Bible college, and I was a, I was a pretty good rice sorter. They'd bring in bags of rice and my job was in the kitchen and I'd practice my Spanish and they'd all laugh at me and it was fantastic. But you know what? I got to know some of the Wadani young people, the most vibrant, funny, joyous folks. And then I found out it was their grandparents who were responsible for the murder of these missionaries. But now, years later, we are seeing the fruit that came about because five people said, you know what, God's mission to make himself known, to build on the foundation of God's purposes that are found in Christ is worth taking. But they didn't get there by themselves. They had people, they had churches praying for them, giving to them, equipping them. And my mum, interestingly, years later, when she heard that as a young girl, she heard on the radio about the five missionaries. She prayed, oh God, I want to be a missionary to Ecuador. Now that never happened, but when I met my wife and we got engaged, my mum almost teared up and said, I've been praying for Ecuador since I was a girl. And she said, now my prayers have been answered. Why? Because you can be involved in the work of God, whether you're staying, whether you're going, whether you're sending, But the issue is, is your heart on board? This radical mandate that Jesus gives to us, he doesn't just give to the select few. He gives to all of us, go and make disciples, learners of all nations. He gives the manner in which we do this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One of the great Trinitarian verses of the New Testament baptizing them, identifying them, that they would publicly acknowledge that they belong to Christ. He says this is the goal, that people would come to know God and to trust in Christ. This is what we're about. This is why you exist as a community, to make disciples, to bring those who are lost, to know the wonderful triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to find your delight and their delight in Him. The manner of making disciples also involves verse 20 and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Interesting, I, amongst other courses, uh, teach introduction to preaching. And it's interesting when I talk to students about what is the goal of preaching. Uh, One of the most common things, it's not a bad thing, but I don't think it's the right thing. One of the the common things that people say when I ask, what is preaching about? Teaching people to read the Bible. Now, I would say teaching people to read the Bible is a very good thing. I want to be doing that. But the end goal of discipleship is not just the transference of information as if information is an end in itself. Because I think too many of us think that if we just teach the Bible or we do a Bible study, that's it. It's not it. The goal is given here, teaching them what? 
to obey everything I have commanded you. Obedience, conformity to the image of Christ is the end goal. And in fact, here is the, the, the amazing thing. God has begun his new creation. The first Adam, what happened? Our ancestor, creation was wrecked. But God has said, I'm going to start a new creation. He sends the second Adam, and we're all part of that new creation, those of us in Christ. And here's the thing. As your gospel community is transformed by the teaching of Jesus, that should overflow into obedience and conformity to the image of Christ in the way that you behave. One of my favorite verses in all the New Testament is Philippians 3 verse 20. It says, our citizenship is in heaven from where we eagerly await a saviour who will transform these lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. The reason that I love that verse, it uses this metaphor, this image of Christians being citizens of heaven. It was written to the church at Philippi, and Philippi was what they called a Roman colony. It's a long way from Rome, but if you went into Philippi, you would see it was an outpost where often Roman soldiers would retire, and you would see people dressed in Roman garb, even though it was Philippi. They would eat Roman food. They would celebrate Roman holidays. They would give their kids Roman names. They were, excuse the pun, a little bit of Rome away from Rome. And here's the thing, they were, the, oh no, it's pretty bad. But here's the thing, they were reflecting Rome even though they're a different part. You know what's the amazing thing? Paul will talk to the people of God and say, you are a colonial outpost of heaven. Your gospel communities and your church should be a snapshot of that coming kingdom. How you relate to each other. People should look at your communities and your church and say, man, you guys dress different, you think different, you act different. Why? Let me tell you about the, the kingdom that we belong to. A coming attraction. We want to give you a taste of new creation. Teaching them to obey is the idea, not that you teach people to alter their behavior so that they can be good enough for God. That's never going to work. But it's saying when grace impacts you and the power of Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when they transform your life, through the teaching, the things that you know to be true, that has an impact on how you behave. The end goal is not to teach people to read the Bible, it's to teach them to read the Bible to obey. Jesus gives this mandate, go to all nations, baptize, teach. But he doesn't just give us this mandate, because we could look at this mandate and say, well, it's overwhelming. It's very big, and it is. But in this passage, he also gives us the means in which we can do it. And it comes from the very first part, or rather the second part of verse 18, and then the last part of verse 20. We don't go and do mission and live for God, and even live as a community, through the power of our own strength. Notice verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Our ministries are not based on our own achievements, our own backgrounds, our own capabilities, our own strategies. It's squarely built upon the rock-solid basis that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why do we go and do the gospel? It's because Jesus says, I've got the authority to commission you because I've fulfilled and am fulfilling the very purpose of God. I like what he says there at the end. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What do you remember Matthew's gospel? Starts off, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. 
How does Matthew end? Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It starts and it ends with God saying, I am with you. We don't do mission independently of God. We do mission fully empowered by God. And as we get to Acts, we won't get to Acts today, but then you get to Acts just a a couple of weeks after this event and the Spirit of God comes upon his church and the enabler, the Holy Spirit enables us now to take this gospel out. You look at the accounts of people like Peter. Man, there's a young girl who comes by when Jesus is arrested and he's around the fire and a girl comes. You're one of him. A young girl, it says. And he starts swearing. Scared of a little girl. There's no... If you're worried... I'm worried at that point that this guy's going to be able to do this mandate. But when you get to Acts 2 and the Spirit of God has come upon him, all of a sudden you get this ordinary fisherman who on the day of Pentecost is preaching the glory of Christ. Friends, the mission of God, he's already involved with. He's doing this. The joy is you and I get to participate in his work. What an act of grace, right? He doesn't need me. I'm a printer by trade. I didn't finish high school. You know, I still managed to get into to college over in the States because I didn't quite understand my transcript. Okay, and I managed to do some study. And, but, you know, God doesn't need my education to get things done. He says, it doesn't matter if you're a printer, it doesn't matter if you're a bus driver, an accountant, a pastor, I can use you if you will get involved in what I am already doing. What does that look like for you? I know just in talking and not to embarrass some folks here, but I'm, I'm friends of the Buchanans and they've not asked me to do this. These guys have a vision to take the good news of Jesus to other people who are marginalised, disenfranchised, they're on the outskirts, they need the love of Christ and these guys want to take it. That is a good investment of gospel ministry right there. Get behind these guys, all right? I know you are. Get behind them. Some of you got financial resources, get behind them. Not just these guys, there's other ministries. There's ministries reaching out to university students. Get behind them. There's people who are saying, you know what? I want to translate the Bible in places where Jesus, they don't even have scriptures about Jesus. Get behind them. Some are doing high school ministry as scripture teachers locally. Get behind them. Friends, there's ways that you can participate in the very work of God. Whether you stay as a, an accountant, whether you work as a school teacher, use every opportunity to take the gospel out. Knowing that God is at work in the Philippines and he's pleased to have guys like that there. Using them, get behind them. You might have other missionaries that you support. Send them emails. Adopt them with your, your gospel community. But know that God can use them, but also he can use you. You don't have to just go abroad to be used by the Lord. I'm so thankful to God for the the people that I've learnt from who have invested both abroad but locally in building disciples. I sometimes, I was telling Matt last night, sometimes I just say, I want to go back and work with local church. I like preaching to, to, to people and sharing God's word, but there's something when you know the same people and you love the same people that I really miss about pastoral ministry. But I know for me, the way God has wired me to disciple is to do it at a college where I'm now equipping, you know, your, your, your Bazzas and your Mitches and your Arnaldos and others. 
that will look different for me than it will for you. You can be discipling in your Sunday school class with these small children the next Billy Graham. The next great evangelist could be sitting in your midst. The next pastor of a church could be that young person. The next chaplain could be that difficult little girl that doesn't pay attention. Disciple. Disciple. Because God is at work. We have a radical saviour. He exudes that radical grace. And because he exudes that, he includes you and I in his grand purpose by giving us a radical mandate to take the gospel to the world. A few years ago, I was in Queensland ministering uh, at a particular context, and there was another speaker there, uh, a large six-foot-five German named Werner Berkler. And Dr. Berkler was this massive German guy, and he started sharing his testimony about something that had happened to him. He worked for the Billy Graham Association uh, doing evangelism. And he told the story of his parents. He grew up in mainland China. His parents were German missionaries who went to the backwoods of China to share the gospel. They ministered there for 27 years trying to make disciples. In their lifetime, 27 years, they saw less than five people trust in Jesus. 27 years because they believed promises like this, that, or commands like this, you need to go and make disciples. Years later, some 40 years later, Werner Berkler went to the place where he grew up. He had an invitation to preach at a church. So he made the flight there and he, he flew into to China and he took quite a large, uh, long train trip to get to the backwoods, uh, to this town that he grew up, which was now a city. And he got off the train and he caught the attention of some local officers and they said, we need to chat with you. We don't often see six foot five Germans. So they escorted him to a local police station just to inquire a little bit more about why he was here. And Dr. Berkler had a little identification card from when he was a boy. And he said, I was actually born here. And he pulled out his card. And they apologised. Oh, we're so sorry, Mr. Berkler. Welcome home. <laughs> he went and he preached at a church there at an invitation that he'd been given. And when he got to the church, he walked through the doors and he noticed that there were 2,000 people there to worship the Lord Jesus. His face dropped. The local pastor thought he was discouraged. He said, don't be discouraged, Dr. Berkler. This is the first of five services. <laughs> Dr. Berkler preached those services with tears in his eyes, remembering his family. He invested 27 years for less than five people. As he got done, he was going out of the, the service and he's making his way down the aisle. A local Chinese pastor tagged him on the shirt. He said, Dr. Berkler, look around. He said, this is the fruit of your parents' ministry. Friends, we sow seed. We support. We pray for. We get involved in mission. Sometimes you will never see the result of spending time with that difficult person in your youth group. That little girl, that little boy who just seems to be struggling. Invest. Use whatever talents and gifts and time you have. Get alongside that person who seems to be a fringe person at church who's not consistently walking with the Lord and you're not sure where they're at and they might have all sorts of struggle. Get alongside them. Invest. Point them to Christ. Teach them to obey. Why? Because that is the mandate that you've been given. 
There is life in Christ. He has begun the new creation. It starts with us as a community, but the mandate is to go out to the world that doesn't know him. Somebody has said that the church is the only organisation that exists for its non-members. Friends, you're commissioned. The mandate is clear. Make Christ known. Do it through the Spirit, not in your own strength. Trust in God to do it, that every knee would bow from every nation, tribe and tongue, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this challenge that you give us, this mandate to take this word of truth about your Son, the Lord Jesus, to the uttermost part of the earth. I thank you for the Anchor Church and their commitment to taking this gospel both locally to places like Marrickville and Glebe and Stanmore and Petersham. And I just pray that as they invest, that you would bring fruit, not for the reputation of the church, but for the reputation of your son, the Lord Jesus. I thank you that there's a community here that is seeking outwardly to bless the nations. And I pray with this great mandate that you've given us that each one of us in our own capacities would participate in your work and get alongside what you are already doing. Again, not for our own reputation, but for the glory of your son. Lord, we long for that, that day when your kingdom will come, your will will be done on earth as in heaven, where there will be people singing with every different language group because your gospel of life has gone forward. Until that time, I pray that you would keep us dependent on your spirit as we seek to obey you. And we ask this for Jesus' reputation. Amen.